Welcome back to the Women of the Word podcast. I'm Lauren Susanto, joined again today by Jen Wilkin. Jen, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. I'm excited for today. So over the next few episodes, we're going to take an in-depth look at the Bible study process. Mm -hmm. And today we're going to start with comprehension. Yep. So let's just jump in. Can you start by telling everyone what comprehension is? What does it mean? So people actually already typically know what this is. They just haven't necessarily thought about how it applies to Mm -hmm. how they're reading the Bible. Comprehension is what you were learning when you were in school, when you would read through a passage and then you'd have to answer questions over what the passage had said to demonstrate that you had actually processed what you were reading. So when we think about the Bible, um, well, really any comprehension exercise, but the Bible in particular, comprehension is asking, what does it say? And so it means that you're reading, looking for enough detail that you're getting the flow of the passage and that you could tell someone what you read after you read it. And probably people sort of do that automatically. We do, but I think, you know, it's interesting. You might do it if you knew that you were taking a portion of the SAT and that you were going to have to get the answers right. Or you might do it if you were putting together a piece of furniture from Ikea and you wanted to get the instructions right because you knew that there were very real consequences for not reading for detail. But when it comes to the Bible, again, I think because we tend to put the Bible in a separate category, I think we think of comprehension, if we think of it at all, we think of it as, well, I'll just read it once and then I'll be fine, you know? And so consequently, we, we don't necessarily give it the directed attention that we would something else in a way that means it's going to be memorable to us the way that it needs to be if we're going to move on to other stages of understanding. Yeah, we have a tendency to just rush past this part of yeah. the process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In fact, I would argue that this is the most neglected mm. of the three levels uh, because it feels like it should just be simple. And in some regards, it is. Uh, in some regards, it's so simple that we hurry past it. And in yeah. others, it's we just don't give it the attention that it deserves. Because I think, you know, if you relate it back to the example of like putting together a piece of furniture, wanting to do it right, we don't necessarily perceive any negative consequence for hurrying past it when it comes to Bible reading. We assume that the Holy Spirit will take up the slack for us. Yeah, right. <laughs> why, why would you say this is such a foundational first step in the process? Well, because if we hurry past this, we're very likely to flub interpretation. Mm. We're going to um, base an interpretation on something that might not have been there at all. Or we may have pulled out something that we thought was um, sort of the most top of mind idea in a passage. But since we were in a hurry, we might have missed what that actually was. And so when we slow down and give our full attention and place it within the context that it's in in a particular book of the Bible, it's going to shape the way that we think about interpretation. And then it's going to shape the way we're going to think about application built on that. And so when we understand that these things are building blocks, I think you if you even think about just in terms of a foundation for a building, right? Yeah, right. You, you want to get that first part right or the rest of it could be all off kilter. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Maybe let's go a little bit more practically. Mm-hmm. Can you give an example of what this might look like? I think people listening might think, oh, that makes a lot of sense, but... Then if they open their Bibles, they're like, well, I guess I don't really know exactly what I'm looking for. What steps am I supposed to take? What questions am I supposed to ask? So can you walk us through what this might look like in practice? Yeah. Well, so first it's good to think about which tools you would use mm. for the comprehension piece. Yeah. And these are not strictly, it's like, you, I wouldn't say like mark a term over and over again, and that's only for comprehension, okay, right? Sure. None of these are, it's not as linear as it might sound yeah, when we're right. talking about it here. Um, but 
when you look at a particular passage and you want to just get to that, I could pass a pop quiz over yeah. this moment. Yes. It means that you are looking for how the passage was put together. So um, word choice. Am I seeing a word that is repeated or am I seeing a flow of ideas that I want to pay attention to? Um, and you're also looking for things like, what are the names that are here? What are the locations that are here? Yeah. Like a big piece of the comprehension um, puzzle that people will rush by in the Old Testament in particular is they'll see a list of names or they'll see a location mentioned, but we don't necessarily have the natural curiosity to say, I wonder why those maps are in the back of my Bible and they might show me where this location <laughs> yeah. is. And sometimes just even the distance between two towns that are mentioned is revealing in the way that we understand what's going on in a passage. Was it a short distance? Was it a long distance? Yeah. That kind of a thing. Yeah. Uh, and so part of the comprehension stage is allowing yourself to have some curiosity mm -hmm. around what you're reading and then look for um, the ways that the author has put together ideas. So like, for example, let's let's think about just an example. Yeah, and that's um, great. For the purpose of this, I, I'm gonna use two familiar passages yeah, to perfect. anyone who's listening. Uh, I hope they're familiar. Yeah. So the first one would be the 10 commandments. Okay. Yep. And then the second one we'll look at just, we'll talk about the Lord's prayer just sure. a little bit, the way Sounds that great. this might look. So in the 10 commandments, most of us know they're in there. We know there's 10 of them. Right. But if I said, what's the sixth commandment? You might panic, right? Because we know we're not there. With and so most of us know, oh, there's a flow to them. Like they start with the vertical relationship to God and then they move to the horizontal relationship to humans. But have we thought beyond that? Like if, if you couldn't name them in order for me, then it tells me that you know there's some order, but you don't know a lot about what that order is. And I think we forget to think, oh, these really could have been in any order, but they're not, they're in a particular mm. order. And so looking for the intent behind the way ideas are being presented and not necessarily trying to draw a whole lot of, we're not to the interpretation stage yet, so we're not trying to draw big conclusions. And I think that's the part that makes us hurry back past comprehension because we want to get to that, you know, yeah, well, definitely. that's the sweet spot. Right. But you can't get to that spot unless you've slowed down. So uh, if you were reading the Ten Commandments wanting to have a comprehension level understanding of them, first of all, I would hope you wouldn't just flip to the Ten Commandments and read them, pull them out of the place that they fall in Exodus because where they fall in the storyline of Exodus matters very much. Mm -hmm. um, so when you're thinking about comprehension, part of what you're comprehending is why are the Ten Commandments given here? when Israel is at the foot of Mount Sinai. Why were they not given when Israel was in Egypt? Yeah, that That's broader a, context. Yeah, and there's a really easy answer for that, right? Yeah, like right, why would God right. give rules to people who couldn't possibly obey them when they're yeah. under Pharaoh's rule, right? Exactly. So that's an important, you know, that's a comprehension piece. It's like, why does it go here versus somewhere else? Now, you're, it leans, as you can feel, it leans a little toward the interpretation sure. piece, but that's what we want. We want yeah. it to be moving us that direction. So, okay, it, it occurs where it occurs because um, that's where Israel needs them. They need them when they are able to be self-governing or governed by God in, 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 the, in the wilderness yeah. and know how to relate to one another in a way that they didn't when they were under Pharaoh's rule. So they're finally free to obey God's law, yeah. which is a significant theological concept that's going to help us when we get to later stages. Right. And then why are they in the order that they're in? Why would it start with, you know, oh, these these first four or five, the first four dealing with authority, God's authority over us, the fifth one dealing with human authority over us. And then, okay, then we get into don't 
murder, don't commit adultery. Well, why is murder before adultery? And again, you don't have to answer these questions okay. necessarily at this stage, but it's yeah. important for you to be thinking through them. Why is the last commandment about contentment? Well, why not put that one first? So allow yourself to feel that dissonance of, I don't know that I've ever thought these things or asked these questions before and, um, and pay attention to well, that's interesting. This commandment is given a lot more word space. The commandment about Sabbath, right? Yeah. Uh, or even the commandment about uh, covening. Those are the the two longest ones. Why are those longer than the others? Why not give a short statement like we do for you shall not murder? Give yourself permission to just sit there and think those thoughts um, and then note if you can determ determine what the what the natural flow is of, of the argument. And you may not be able to, but that's okay. It yeah. may take you uh, two weeks. It may take you a year. Uh, and you can allow yourself to be patient with that. Or it may just be if you're on a shorter timeline that you do this good comprehension work. And then when you start reading about interpretation in a commentary, you can trace it back to, oh, yeah, I saw that, you know, when I was right. marking this section. So, yeah, so it's a lot of asking questions, letting yourself ask questions, be curious about mm -hmm, the text. Mm -hmm. And if there are things to, that are repeated, you know, then, then mark those repeated words. Sure. And also another really good skill is to ask, could I, could I summarize this if mm. I needed to? Um, that's moving a little toward interpretation because you're, you're trying to get the meaning into words. Um, but you might do uh, looking up words in a dictionary or looking up words in a thesaurus. A, another really useful tool here is to compare in different translations okay. um, to see if you can um, get closer to what the meaning is of a particular word or an idea. So uh, a great example of this would be a lot of us grew up with the Ten Commandments in the King James. Mm. And so we think of the Sixth Commandment as you shall not kill. But when you look at later translations, it's you shall not murder, which is a more specific statement about taking human life. Yeah. In fact, the only translation you'll find out there that says you shall not kill at this point is, is the King James. And okay. so uh, that can help you. You can be like, yeah, oh, definitely. I never really thought about that right, before. Right. Uh, bearing false witness. What is that? You know? Well, if you look in different translations, you'll get different ways that that's stated and it can help you to get closer to, oh, it's when I say something that's not true about my neighbor. Because a lot of us grew up with that one being, you shall not lie. Yeah. So it helps us to hone in on the specific language or idea that's there when you're comparing in different translations. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense too. And all those questions are very natural and normal and things that if I took time to think about them would probably come pretty naturally just I don't often take the time well, to and do that. With the Bible, it feels like if I'm asking these questions, I, I either sound dumb or maybe maybe I'm not good at this. Yeah, like this right. is what's what is so frustrating to me when people are talking about getting into the text more and they're like, well, why would I ask those questions? Because you feel like maybe I'm not good at this. Maybe mm -hmm. the Holy Spirit isn't speaking to me as clearly as everyone else if I'm not getting a lot out of what I'm reading. Yeah, the questions could mean doubt or yeah, they maybe could I mean, don't know. Yeah, that's right. And and um, and that's not what it is. So you, you should be asking those questions. You're allowed to ask bad questions and learn to ask better questions, you know, because yeah. we're, we're, again, you're, you're just learning how to do this and there's right. no there's no shame in that. So that's a good example from the Old, Old Testament. Testament. What's another example from the New Testament? You said the Lord's Prayer? Yeah, pretty much everybody knows the 
Lord's Prayer. And so again, you could ask similar questions. First of all, you would want to say, by the time I'm reading the Lord's Prayer, what have I read before that? What am I gonna read after that? And you find out that the Lord's Prayer is actually in the middle of a whole section of the Sermon on the Mount that is talking about giving, praying, and fasting. And so when he gets to prayer, he expands it out and he gives this, this, this model prayer for us. Everybody typically knows it's a model prayer, but they haven't necessarily given any thought to, well, why is the order there? You know, like why, why does he start with our father who's in heaven? Your name is holy. Why does he end where he ends? Is there any logical progression to his thoughts? Why are they such short statements? Why doesn't he talk more yeah. about give us daily bread? Yeah, true, true. You know, and then, oh, well, it's a model prayer, you know, so giving yourself a chance to just think through. And then has he said things like this elsewhere, like in the Sermon on the Mount? Well, the answer is yes, you know, and so um, that would impact the way that you would think about comprehension. Um, the comprehension piece on something that we've memorized a lot of times we we don't do it it's, it's overly familiar it's an yeah, example yeah. of an overly familiar passage for us and so to try to look at it as though you've never seen it before and then because you know you would pass a pop quiz on the factual totally. content of the or the language that's there but um have you thought through the bigger questions about like the why I think too, sometimes when it's familiar, I find myself almost skimming it. Yeah. It's like, oh, I know mm. I know what this says. I know I'm familiar with this. Mm. And so it's harder to ask questions if I'm skimming mm. the text. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And so it yeah. really is just putting the brakes on, slowing down. And again, you don't have to draw big conclusions. A lot right. of it is asking questions and looking for repeated ideas or words or phrases. Um, like for, an, for example, in the Lord's Prayer, I'll often have people uh, mark um, all of the pronouns because mm. they begin to realize it's we, it's us. It's not, it's, it's a collective prayer. It's a prayer we're meant to all pray together. Yeah. Corporate, not Corporate. individual. That's right. Yeah. And, and, but a lot of people really haven't given a lot of thought to the significance of that until they start paying attention to the language that's there. Yeah. Interesting. So one of the tools that you mentioned that's important for this stage of the process is a dictionary. Mm -hmm. So if I was reading something in the comprehension stage and I didn't know what it meant, mm -hmm or there was a location that I didn't know where it was, this is a good time where I would stop mm -hmm. and look those up. I would maybe take a break from reading or asking other questions, go to a different resource to look something up at this point. Is that mm -hmm. what you would say? Mm -hmm. And looking up, obviously looking up words in the dictionary or thesaurus is more helpful in shorter books that are um, teaching. So yeah. like the epistles or something like that, you're not going to be looking up a lot of terms in a, an Old Testament narrative that's right. super long, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but there are times where it's helpful even in, in that scenario. So like, for example, in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our debts. Well, and then some of us memorized it, forgive us our trespasses. Mm -hmm. But yeah. have we ever thought to look up the word debts or trespasses and see what the definition says to kind of get get our imagination going around, oh, I, I don't think I've meditated on this. And so some of, when we think about um, what it means to meditate on scripture, I think we think about looking for deep meaning. And we don't realize that the meditating piece can simply just be that repetition, that reading mm -hmm. it again and again and again, so that we are ready for when those aha moments start to come. Yeah. So um, yeah, you would look it up in a dictionary at thesaurus, think of some alternate ways that you might say 
say it. Now, obviously, it's an English dictionary, so there might be some less helpful uh, associations with that word that wouldn't necessarily fit in, in the context of the Bible. So you want to think about that with care, but you can usually pick those out. I don't think that's that hard. Yeah. Um, and especially if you're comparing in different translations as well, and you can see which English words other translators chose for the same idea. Yeah, definitely. That's really helpful. As people think about this, are there any pitfalls for people to be aware of, things that could kind of trip us up in this process? Yeah, I think the main pitfall with comprehension is, well, there's, I'll give you two. One is to be in too big of a hurry. Yeah, uh, and, and to think, okay, I've read it two times or four times, that surely that is plenty, yeah, I'm good. right? <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> I've marked up a few things. Uh, and the other one is to uh, be unaware of the existing bias or lens that you might be reading something through. Mm -hmm. And that takes more time for us because, uh, and so an example of that would be if you have heard someone teach over the Lord's Prayer in a particular way and it really stuck in your head and that's the only way that you can think about the Lord's Prayer, you know, because yeah. you heard this, this teaching over it. Or maybe it's that you heard it taught wrong one time. Uh, or maybe you have some preconceived notions about prayer and how God interacts with us through prayer and you are laying those on top of what the passage is actually saying. That's why the repetition and the slowing down matter so much because a lot of times those are hard cycles to break. Um, and sometimes you won't see that you were reading it through a, a weird perspective until you've done comprehension and move into interpretation and are seeing what other, other people have said. So I would say slowing down is a big thing. You don't want to rush. Um, trying to have awareness of how you already are perceiving the passage before you try to view it with fresh eyes. Yeah. Um, and then thirdly, I would say not talking about your comprehension work with other people, like thinking that's just what I do on my own. And when I get together with other people, I'm just going to talk about like what it meant or how it changed oh, me. Yeah. Um, but when we get into a room with other people and start saying, oh, well, what did you see as a repeated idea here? Or what word did you look up? We really do get some shared light from each other. And one person might say, well, yeah, I know that word is in here a couple of times, but this word is in here six times. And then you realize, oh, I got pulled into this one word because it was top of mind for me based on what's going on in my yeah. life right now or yeah. something like that. I needed this passage to be emphasizing something that it wasn't right. because I'm going through some stuff instead of, no, actually it's talking about something else. Lots of Bible study discussions that I've been in focus heavily on mm -hmm. the interpretation application mm -hmm. side of it. We don't really discuss the comprehension. It feels kind of like busy this, work. Yeah, the thing I have to do before I get to yeah. all the other stuff. Yeah, that we think of it as busy work. Yeah. And that's why I say, I think it's the most underutilized, underappreciated step. And it's the kind of step that you only appreciate once you've done it for a while, you're not gonna probably the first two or three times or even the first book of the Bible that you do it with, you may not you may not recognize its value, but yeah. your, your recognition of the value grows over time. Right, as you see how it impacts then yep. the next two steps of the process. Well, and like if you've done good work with comprehension mm -hmm. in Genesis, for example, yeah. then the next time that you study um, Matthew, you're going to have easier comprehension there because of the work that you did in Genesis, because you're going to start to make connections, linguistic connections, um, imagery, you know, those kinds of things are all going to start to um, connect in ways that they haven't when you've invested the time in, in the comprehension piece. Yeah, that's great. Is there anything else that people usually get wrong about this part of the process? 
I would say that if you don't understand genre rules, so mm -hmm. I think genre rules are going to come more into play when we get to the interpretation piece. But um, for example, if you were reading Revelation and you're getting all of this really colorful imagery and you are trying to mark a repeated image and you don't have a sense of like, its significance in another book, mm -hmm. then you could start to try to draw conclusions or emphasize something that maybe isn't going on there. But that, that leans into the interpretation piece a little bit more. But understanding genre rules means that, for example, if you're in Proverbs where there are several different forms of parallelism happening and you'll see maybe not a repeated word, but you'll see a repeated idea three times yeah. in a row. And um, being able to pay attention and say, oh, this is not actually just a strictly uh, the same idea repeated three times. It's actually amplifying each time that it, or expanding a little bit each time that it is um, happening. And so um, that's a that's a function of that genre. Yeah. And if you're not aware of it, you might your comprehension skills might be a little um, off target, but you'll still be moving in the right direction because eventually you're going to read some interpretation. Yeah. And you're going to say, oh, I did see that. I didn't quite understand how the mechanics right. were working, but now I can see how that's playing out. Or with Revelation, oh, I did see that. Uh, I just didn't understand how it connected to another place in the, in the Bible. For people who might not have thought of genres of the Bible before, what's a good way for people to learn how to figure that out if they would have no context of what this particular book of the Bible, what genre is that? Where's a good resource for people to, to learn that information. So a, a decent study Bible will have some of this in it. It'll give you an introduction to it, but it really wouldn't hurt to go and find a longer work on this. And yeah. there are some good ones out there. Um, Literarily is a book that's come out recently by Christy Anyabwile that's helpful in talking through different genres. And then there's a book by Julia Higgins that's come out recently that is uh, sort of a, it'll take you on a deeper dive into some of the concepts that I've explored in Women of the Word and we'll blow out some of that genre discussion for you so that you can better have an understanding of what you're looking at. But if you're doing a particular book of the Bible and you know what the genre is, then you there are also some good online resources that you can go to, some good articles that you can go and find. Um, there, there's not a lot of dispute around genre rules because they're not unique to the Bible. There are things that you can see in other contemporary sure. literary sources of the time. Yeah, that, that's a good point to make too, just the importance of understanding genre. Maybe another thing that's similar to that is how does understanding and seeing the big picture storyline of the Bible help us with the comprehension stage? Well, it's going to help you discern, like for example, with the example I gave of the Ten Commandments, mm -hmm. when you understand where the Bible starts and where it ends and how yeah. it's getting from point A to point B, you understand the significance of the when of the Ten Commandments in a way that you wouldn't otherwise. So you understand where it fits in the story of the book of Exodus, but then you can understand where it fits in the story of the Bible as a whole, as the Mosaic Covenant, and that's a really important skill. Yeah. Um, and so... The the big story of the Bible helps with all three levels of, of this um, process. It probably helps the most with interpretation, but it never hurts to start at your comprehension level place and say, where am I in the story? Is this creation, fall, redemption, restoration? Um, and to plot where you are on a timeline, on a Bible timeline. And those are, those are easy tools to find and easy tools to use. How, after people have spent some time doing the comprehension stage, mm -hmm. how can they be confident or sure that they've gotten their comprehension correct or 
right. Mm -hmm. Well, I'd love to tell you that there's an answer key that they can look at and they'll be like, oh, I did it right. Uh, But the truth is that if you had five people who were given the same annotating assignment or the same comprehension assignment, you're not going to get exactly the same thing from each person. And if you go and look at a commentary, you're not going to see exactly the same thing either. Uh, You'll see general agreement. And that's that's actually really helpful. I don't yeah. think we understand how really helpful that is, but we want there to be, this is the Bible. The Spirit wants me to understand it. Therefore, all of us will get exactly right. the same thing. Uh, <laughs> and it's just not, that's not how it's going to look. And yeah. so you're going to have to let yourself let go of that a little bit and yeah. recognize not just that in the in the, in the the day or week in which I sit down with other people and talk about this, I'm not going to feel that tension resolve, but you may not feel that tension resolve for months or years around a particular um, passage. But I do think that you will find, it's easy you know, to say, how many times did you mark the word sure. repent? And everybody yeah, sure. can say, oh, I got this many, I got that many. Oh, you, I missed a couple. Like that's always really interesting. When, yeah. when there's a certain number for people to look for, people begin to realize, I read that four times and I still missed two places where it was, you know? <laughs> yes. And and so that's actually really helpful because then you begin to realize the extent to which you are skimming or reading without paying attention to detail. But it's a it's a crock pot method. It's not a microwave method. Yeah. And, and kind of highlights that. again the importance of discussing this part with other people. Because yeah. if there's not necessarily a right or wrong answer. It depends, right? It depends on the passage. A lot of the time, it's all of us observing different things um, and sort of combining our efforts to to show each other, oh, I saw this. Did you see this? Uh, But then there will be some right or wrong instances. I mean, there there is a right or wrong answer to uh, why the Ten Commandments are in the order that they're in. Now, it doesn't mean that there's only one uh, explanation for the order that they're in, but there are some wrong answers to that question. And you begin to be better at identifying which ones are not the best answers the more that you have read for detail. Yeah, and talking about those things with other people may highlight Mm -hmm. things that you could have missed in that part of the process. Mm -hmm. That's right, yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned that more often than not, potentially, there's not necessarily a right or wrong answer in the comprehension stage. And I think sometimes that can feel kind of frustrating. Like why why did the Lord make it so scripture is not just black and white, that we can't just read it and instantly all get the right answer? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, you probably heard the idea, main things are plain things, plain things are main things. Yeah. And so we don't have to panic and think that we can't know anything, certainly mm-hmm. from the scriptures. Yeah, <laughs> But that feeling of, oh, why, why, why don't I get to know whether I did this exactly right or not? Um, it's, it's a little, uh, it's, it's the kind of thing that we feel when we're early in the process because we haven't had enough time to settle in and say, I know this is actually going to get clearer for me the more I practice using these tools. And so, you know, you think about someone who's a true Bible scholar who has studied the Bible their entire life. They're going to nail the comprehension piece a lot quicker than someone like me or maybe you, you know. Mm-hmm. And so some of that feeling of, oh, I just want to get this right is a little like sitting down for your third piano practice and wanting to be able to play uh, a piece by Mozart perfectly. Right. Right? Yeah. And so it doesn't mean that there isn't a beautiful and right way to play the piece. It just means that you're probably not going to be the person who does it (laughs) on this particular day. (laughs) Yes. Uh, But if you ever want to be that person, you have to be faithful to keep showing up and, and practicing the tools. 
you just got to stick with it and you have to let your ability grow with the passage of time, but you're not going to always be in the dark and it's yeah. not going to always feel as confusing as it does. Now I've been doing this for a while and I have to say every time I make a connection that I wouldn't have made 10 years ago, I'm so proud of myself. I just want to give myself a <laughs> giant blue ribbon and like toot my own horn and all that. Uh, and so really, and, and I would say it's going to take probably longer than you think, but it's worth it. And then when you do start to see, oh, I am making better connections connections here. Um, it's really just going to fuel your desire to keep going. Yes. Awesome. This has been really helpful and just a good reminder of how important it is to slow down, ask good questions, be able to kind of linger in the uncertainty maybe, mm -hmm. or the not knowing mm -hmm. part of the stage of the process. Mm -hmm. Thanks so much, Jen. And thank you too for joining us for this episode of the Women of the Word podcast. Come back again next week where Jen and I will continue the conversation of the Bible study process, this time talking about interpretation or what does scripture mean. Also make sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode and we'll see you all here again next week.